Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another 2021-22 NBA postgame recap. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on all platforms at YouTube, at Dime Dripper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, at Dime Dripper Pod. A reminder to check out my latest vlog, if you have the time, Clippers and Pelicans. It was nine minutes, the Clippers... Got destroyed. It was absolutely embarrassing. Probably worse than the Cleveland game. Jonas Valanciunas went Dirk Nowitzki on us, and we made him look like Steph Curry. And it was quite embarrassing. I had a really good seat, though, that I moved down to in the second half as well. So I did get a little bit of good film in there. So go check that out. Give a like. And by the way, whenever you see any of my videos, even if you don't have time to watch it immediately, make sure you give it a click of you or and a comment. We need to do whatever we can to get back in favor of these algorithms so the party can get bigger again because it has been too small. Right now, looking at the live, only seven people in the live. Hopefully, it gets a little bit bigger, but we need to do what we can to get back in favor of those algorithms. Thursday on Twitter, the first episode of my space, Dimes Bank, part of hashtag Hoop Spaces. So if you want to make your voice heard, you want to get on that microphone, 11 a.m. Pacific time to 1 p.m. Or an East Coast time, that would be 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time. So Hoop Spaces, Dimes Bank, on my Twitter, at DimesDripperPod. So for tonight's episode, though, and by the way, I will be probably going to the Kings game tomorrow, Clippers-Kings, so another vlog will be out on Thursday. So no live tomorrow, no video tomorrow. So make sure you take this in, take in my vlog, whatever you need. So let's talk about tonight's games. There were It was a really good doubleheader tonight on TNT. Phoenix Suns and Warriors, the two best teams in the NBA right now. Maybe the two best teams in the league this season. That remains to be seen as time goes on. And then the Battle of New York, the Knicks and the Nets in the first game. And then I also caught Lakers and Kings. Let's start out with the marquee matchup of the night, though. The Warriors and the Suns. You know, the, the the Suns coming in this with a 16-game winning streak. The Warriors with, I believe, a 7-game winning streak. Warriors about a game above the Suns heading into it. And this game being in Phoenix, you got to expect the defending Western Conference champs to be thinking that they got to win this game. They should win this game. And I thought that both teams came out with really good energy. You can clearly tell that these two teams are both great defensively and they're high IQ teams that are going to make you work throughout the game, and they're going to work hard defensively. Immediately, some things I saw. Mikhail Bridges guarding Stephen Curry. Obviously, his length. He is a clear, clear-cut choice for one of the all-defensive teams this year. There's no doubt about it. I don't even need to watch all the games to know because I know what he's putting in and the results show. But Mikhail Bridges trying to fight over every screen to deter Steph Curry, chase him around. Uh, I thought that the Suns did a really good job, especially even in that first quarter, of knowing which screens to switch with Steph, knowing which ones to just throw throw two guys at him and rotate. I thought the Suns did a really solid job of that in the first quarter, and they started out pretty well. Devin Booker was, you know, 
the Warriors switch everything, but on, in this brief instances in which he had Steph Curry on him in the first quarter, Devin Booker got to his spots. I remember there was one really nice pull-up right elbow that he hit. And Chris Paul started out a little bit slow, but I real, you know, I tweeted before the game, the main thing I wanted to see from the Phoenix Suns was DeAndre Ayton imposing his will because that's the one weakness that the Warriors really have, especially with their small ball lineups. They start with Kevon Looney, but he usually only plays 25 minutes or less. In this case tonight, he only played 17 minutes. And I thought that DeAndre Ayton being one of the guys I always talk about as one of the few real skilled big men in the league that can play back-to-basket, the Suns needed to feed him. And in the beginning of the game, when Chris Paul was in that pick-and-roll and they got the switches, and by the way, I thought something very interesting tonight, Draymond Green guarding Chris Paul. You know, they put Chris, I think it was Curry on Jay Crowder. And it was really interesting to see Draymond Green guarding Chris Paul so far away from the basket and stuff because Draymond Green is more effective, I'd say, you know, rotating from a corner shooter, from a uh, a big, you know, right in the middle of the paint to deter your drives and cuts or what whatnot. But guarding Chris Paul, you know, he's guarding the initial screen, the guy who's getting screened initially most of the time. And the Warriors switch a lot of those actions. And I thought that the Suns did a really good job in that first quarter of pounding it into Aiden. And Aiden did a good job of getting on the block and jump hooking some guys to death. He even jump hooked Kevon Looney, a proper big man. He scored a jump hook on him. Got over Draymond a couple times just using his size. And then there was one on Andrew Wiggins where he just went right over the right over the left shoulder. Easy money. And it was it forced the Warriors to call timeout early. And it was great. But when Devin Booker went to the bench, even when Steph Curry went to the bench, it was the Jordan Poole party that actually got the Warriors the lead after one quarter. He was incredible. And he is showing me so much to start this young season. We mentioned him as being me and Asher talked about him in the contenders and contenders and sleepers as the most improved player candidate. He is averaging 18 points a game this season, which last year only averaged 12 points a game. So a significant upgrade for the dubs in that department with him. That's a proper now second option scoring the ball alongside Andrew Wiggins, who's averaging 19 points a game. So they're right there, second and third. And then you have Draymond playing at an all-star level. So much more support for Steph Curry this season. Jordan Poole, has been very good defensively as well, at least from what I've seen in the games that I've watched him play. He fights over screens, moves pretty well laterally, and I thought he was doing a good job in this game of not only, you know, knocking down his threes coming off screens, at least in the first half. I mean, he ended up shooting really well, and his stat line looks the best for the dubs. 28 points, 5 rebounds on 9 of 15 from the field, and 6 of 12 from 3, and 4 of 5 from the line. He led his team in free throw attempts with only 5, and that's crazy because he led the whole, he led any player in free throw attempts with only 5, and I thought that the refs in this game, they called a lot of stuff on the perimeter, but a lot of guys got hit around the basket and they weren't calling anything, and I just think that that's not good for the game because it makes players want to shoot more jumpers because they're not getting calls, and I think the refs need to be a little bit better with that going forward because when guys go to the basket and they get hit, you got to reward them because they're making an effort to push their bodies to get to the basket. But anyway, so in that second quarter... The Warriors, yeah, I mean, I thought at least at the end of the first quarter, Jordan Poole, there was one play where Aiton stepped up because you have to step up. If you're not, if you're, as the big man, you cannot drop with Jordan Poole and Stephen Curry. When Draymond Green, and this is one of the best plays I've seen from the Warriors, man, this is a great play. Draymond Green, dribble handoff at the top with either Poole or Curry because when Draymond has the ball, hands the ball off 18 feet away, you know, straight away or, or 20 feet away, and he sets the screen immediately, Obviously, the guy that's guarding Curry or Poole is going to be a step behind. So they're going to have a clear look at the rim, 
coming off that screen. That means that the big man that's guarding Draymond needs to step up immediately. He cannot drop. And so when that happens, that's basically like a double team. Draymond, quick, short roll. They throw it over the top or bounce pass it to Draymond, and then he throws that lob to Looney or makes the extra string to the corners. And because of that spacing, that makes you have to make a choice as the defensive team. And that play is really good, and I saw that working with Jordan Poole and him really well in that first quarter. And Draymond, you know, he's the type of guy, he's always got his antennas up. You know, sometimes he needs to look at the basket more, and I think he's gotten better at that this season, at looking at the basket and looking like he's trying to attack the defense instead of just waiting and waiting for people to get open. But there are times, you know, he had five turnovers tonight to his five assists, so one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, which is no good. And the Warriors had 22 turnovers, the main reason why they lost this game tonight, as opposed to the Suns' 12. And a lot of those are because Draymond, you know, he wants to, he'll give it to you the second you create separation off the ball. He will. But sometimes you can kind of just tell that he's going to pass. And I think the Suns did a really good job of just knowing their personnel tonight and knowing when, hey, it's Draymond with the ball. We're not going to step up. Hey, it's Gary Payton Jr. with the ball. We're going to let him shoot. You know, we're just going to make sure Steph Curry doesn't get anything, anything easy. And he didn't get anything easy at all. And Mikhail Bridges was the main reason that was. And I also thought DeAndre Ayton did a great job of coming up on Steph Curry coming off those screens and making other guys make shots. And Otto Porter and various guys did make shots throughout the game. But I thought that in the second quarter, you know, I thought Cam Johnson came in and played well on both ends of the floor, played with energy, made shots. JaVale McGee, he only played eight minutes, but in that second quarter, he had a couple nice rolls to the rim and finishes. He was 4-4 four four from the field and eight points. And the, the Suns played really good defense in that second quarter overall, especially on Curry. You, and Curry was make, missing some shots that he usually makes, but a lot of them were really tough. And, you know, Curry wants to put the big man, which is Aiton, in a pick and roll because that's not a switchable matchup. You don't switch your center onto Curry. You don't switch Aiton onto Curry. Even though Aiton is pretty good moving his feet as far as centers go, you don't switch him onto Curry. You can switch Chris Paul onto Curry. I would switch him onto Curry for certain possessions because... You know, I'd rather do that than give something up downhill or, or, or throw to Curry so then you get the defense in rotation. Chris Paul sometimes can hold his own. I thought CP3's effort on defense tonight was playoff level. I thought he was really fighting over screens. I thought he was fighting for rebounds when he was switched on to bigger guys on, on pick and roll situations and rotations. And I thought that he was playing with a lot of fight, even though he had a slower first half where the, the dubs did just a really good job of staying in front of him and explo- exploiting that lack of quickness and first step that he no longer really has like we talked about in the finals last year but you know you gotta love the way you gotta love the way the game was you know a two-point Suns lead at half you know it was very close but then the bad news occurred when we heard that Devin Booker hurt his hamstring and wasn't going to return into the game and you know you don't like to see that as a basketball fan and I said to my boy nothing but Suns if you guys remember in that preview that's still up you want to check it out the one I had the Suns finishing first in the West. The only concern I had was injuries. Can they stay healthy with their big three, meaning Aiton, Paul, and, 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 and Booker for another whole season? You know, I don't think that this is going to be a serious injury. Booker came right back to the bench. He could probably play next game, honestly, so it's not a big deal. But it obviously sucked that we didn't get to see him. But credit to the Suns for still coming out and getting the W, even without Devin Booker. I thought the third quarter was really even. I thought I was expecting third quarter Warriors, to be honest, but Curry just really couldn't get going. And I think that that's really what kind of held the big run back. And Andrew Wiggins, even though he started out with some really nice drives at the teeth and right at DeAndre Ayton's chest uh, when he was in drop coverage, I thought Ayton adjusted really well the rest of the game. And there was one time where he sagged off and dropped a little deeper, and Wiggins did not make the mid range. Then Wiggins came right at him, and, and Ayton kind of. 
you know, Wiggins started doubting his mid-range ability and started going right at Aiton, and Aiton blocked him, and he was feeling himself, and credit to Aiton, you know. He really did a good job as the game went on protecting that rim, and he didn't even have to see JaVale McGee again in the game. But third quarter was dead even. It was a really good, you know, tight game going into the fourth, but in the fourth quarter and in the, in the whole second half, I thought CP3 completely dictated and controlled the game. I thought that he made some great reads out of pick and roll, and I thought that the the Warriors' defense in the first half was really interesting. They went box and one on certain possessions on Devin Booker. They went box and one with Chris Paul. You know, when they staggered Booker and Paul, one was on the bench, one was in. They would go box and one in really interesting, like, two-on-two zones with Curry in the middle of that of that zone. It was really interesting schemes from the Warriors, and I think they threw a lot of stuff. And you got to give, you know, Gary Payton was making some good plays in that I think this, were the Warriors making a push. I don't know if it was late third quarter or early fourth quarter. They were making their push. I think it was late third quarter. And him and Otto Porter just played really well. Gary Payton Jr., 4 of 6, 8 points, plus 17. He and Otto had the best plus minus of any Warriors. Plus 17 for Gary Payton Jr., 4 of 6 on the field. He just doesn't really have a, a jumper, or at least a three ball as I've seen. There was a, there were a couple times they baited him into shooting threes, just sagging off. Otto Porter Jr., though, has a three. He played really well. 16 points and 6 boards, 3 assists as well. Plus 10, plus minus, 6 of 11 from the field, and 4 of 8 from 3. I thought he was really good. But Chris Paul, you know, getting to his right, getting into those pick, those pick and roll situations was just exceptional. You know, he's getting, when you're in drop coverage, man, Chris Paul just gets to that right elbow. If you are not back in front of him and you're on his hip, forget about it because he fades away to that right and creates that angle that he likes and he loves getting to that right elbow. And he was hitting a couple of those shots. You know, there was that one play he had on Looney where he went behind the back into a spin with his back turned to the basket like he was straight up in an open run in a gym. Man, that was filthy. You know, Chris Paul, just the way he can still dictate offenses and just, you know, you can just put shooters around him and, and one big man and three shooters and the rest is, even with today, with his lack of quickness and, and burst, he still can create good looks because he just knows how to create that space going to his right. And you've got to give him credit for being able to shoulder that ball handling duty without Booker. And, and I thought campaign had a really solid game off the bench too. Only 16 minutes. His stats won't really show for it. But he had some. He had a big three in that second half from deep. Uh, six points for campaign, two of five. But it was Chris Paul that really closed it out. Made some good reads. Landry Shamit ended up finishing with nine, including the dagger three. But ultimately, Steph Curry. You know, he just couldn't get going, and you got to give the Suns' defense a ton of credit, especially Mikhail Bridges, as I'm saying. You know, I thought they just were exceptional. Knowing exactly what coverages they were in, knowing who to switch, when to switch, you know, when to not switch, and just making sure Curry always saw two bodies coming off every screen and making somebody else beat you. And Jordan Poulat is 28 points, but Steph Curry only had... 12 points and he was 4 of 21 from the field and 3 of 14 from 3 and you know typically you know I said Steph Curry the other night I said he's the only guy in the league you'd want him shooting majority of his shots threes well he shot 66% of his shots as threes tonight and he was not hitting and he didn't get anything close to the rim at all and it was a bad night for him Draymond Green 8 points 11 rebounds 5 assists 5 turnovers on 4 of 8 from the field Jay Crowder ended up hitting some big threes 4 of 9 from deep for Jay. 5 of 11 from the field. 14 points and 6 rebounds for him, plus 19. He had a really solid game. Mikhail Bridges, what an incredible example of a stat line not doing somebody justice. Two points, and I remember those two points. It was on a steal where he picked off a 
I don't remember who passed it, but he picked off a pass and went all the way for the dunk. He only had two points. Those were his only two points. Two rebounds, three assists, four steals, and a block. Plus 21. One of four in 41 minutes, which led everybody. He was the only player in the game that played 40 or more minutes. Mikhail Bridges was phenomenal. DeAndre Ayton, though, one of his best games of the year. 24 points and 11 rebounds, two blocks. He was so good. Plus 16, and he set the tone early, and that's one of the biggest reasons why the Suns won the game tonight. 11 of 19 for D.A., Devin Booker, only he exited with 10 points on 4 of 9. He was actually having a pretty good game. Cam Johnson, 14 points on 5 of 10 and 3 of 7 from 3. He was really solid. And Chris Paul, 15 points, 6 rebounds, 11 assists, 5 steals, 2 turnovers. So that's not many. I mean, 11 to 2 assist to turnover ratio. You will take that all day long. 7 of 13 from the field for Chris. And he only shot 3 threes. Most of his shots were in the mid-range area. And they were very impressive. So a really good win for the Suns, 17 in a row. We have a tie at first now in the West with 18 and three with both teams. Let's see how Devin Booker's injury comes out. And I think these two teams, you know, I picked the Warriors to finish sixth and I'm looking really stupid for that right now. You know, I didn't expect Draymond to be playing this well. I didn't expect, I expected Curry to be playing like this, but you know, I didn't, I thought Jordan Poole may be a 15 point a game guy, but now 18, it's been very impressive. I think it's just, and also, a lot of other teams are not playing up to scratch in the West. But you got to give credit because Steve Kerr is really... It's like these, like the Otto Porters, the Jordan Pools. You know, these guys are starting to play like the players from the old Warriors. Like as if they've just bought into the system and they all move the ball now and they're looking for the extra pass and they're moving without the ball and they're all playing defense and they're all connected and they know where each other is on defense. And it's almost Popovich-like in ways. And I, it's crazy that we were questioning, people were really questioning Kerr's ability to coach last season because, man, he's done an incredible job over these years with Golden State. Let's move on to the Lakers, though, ladies and gentlemen. The Lakers and the Sacramento Kings. LeBron James, COVID positive. You know, I said it over and over again, Laker fans. Can we get 10 games with the big three without injury consecutively to really make a judgment on this team? And we had two games in a row, Sacramento and Detroit. And what happens? COVID. LeBrovid, man, now the Lakers got to play a couple of games, including a game against my Clippers on Friday, which I, guys, I, I'm sorry, but I will not be live after the game. I have somewhere to be. I will be giving you some sort of recap maybe the next day, but I'm unfortunately probably will not be live unless you guys want me to go live at like midnight or something. So message me or comment if you want me to go live desperately at midnight or if you think I can just go live in the morning or something. But Let's talk about the Lakers-Kings game tonight. No LeBron, so THT started with Wayne Ellington. And I thought the Lakers started out pretty poorly. The first six points of the game were the Kings getting action, uh, scoring off of DJ pick and roll. Not that they were all DJ's fault on defensively, but you know, there's one miscommunication, one where he stepped up and nobody took the rotate, no, took the roller. And the Lakers just came out with really weird defensive effort just kind of all over the place but Anthony Davis I thought set a really good tone and Stu Lance was talking about it in commentary getting into the mid to low post in the first quarter getting to the rim going through Shemezi Metu going through smaller guys dominating like you should getting and ones you know I know he only shot two free throws, which is insane. He should have shot five or six, to be honest. Again, this is another example of the refs calling everything on the perimeter and not enough down low. It's not good for the game. They need to adjust that a little bit. Um, 
But AD set a really nice tone in that first quarter with like eight or 10 points. Westbrook, though, turning the ball over way too much. Taylor Horton turnover. Three turnovers. Two of them were like in the same span of just throwing flat line passes just, you know, with the, with his teammate not really created separation. Enough time for a, you know, long athletic NBA talent to pick off the pass. And that was part of the reason why the Lakers were down by eight after one, 28 to 20. Rashawn Holmes was putting a lot of pressure on the Lakers in that short role. And he's a very energetic player. If you don't get a body on him, he will crash the offensive glass. He's got that nice one-handed push shot that Steven Adams had down with uh, Russell Westbrook in OKC. He's gotten that down, Pat. But second quarter, thought it was pretty even. I thought the Lakers got a really good boost off the bench from Carmelo. You know, he finished tonight with 14 points, back to another solid night, four of nine from the field. He didn't shoot very well the other night against Detroit. Plus 11 for Melo off the bench and six of six from the line. He was in the post too, made some nice turnarounds, one over his left shoulder in the second half. That was a beauty. But the Lakers, you know, started out not too hot from deep. You know, Monk did not make his first couple ones. Westbrook, as I said, was turning the ball over and just missing layups left and right. But I thought the Lakers did a... You know, they were down by seven at halftime. It was not looking very good, but the third quarter was one of, if not the best quarters of the of the season for the Lakers. And DeAndre Jordan, after the first four minutes, didn't play again. And I'm really starting to wonder when this experiment is going to end. By the way, Avery Bradley also did not play tonight. He sprained his right thumb, and it ended up looking better for the Lakers. A lot of Laker fans have been talking about it. Why do you really need him in the rotation? Austin Reeves played 18 minutes tonight, and despite the fact that his stat line doesn't look too crazy, Three points, five rebounds, one assist, but zero turnovers. He was plus eight. He had a really nice turnaround jumper that, you know, he was going hard right and then spun over his right shoulder on a dime. Not a lot of players in the NBA can really hit that with an NBA player guarding them. I promise you that. Just ask my Clippers. I don't, not many people on our roster can do that. And I've seen him do it several times this season. It wasn't just a one-off. He has potential, that guy. So I definitely think he should be getting more minutes than Bradley. Uh, I also think that in the third quarter, though, this is why the Lakers turned it around. When THT got injured, and I think I hope THT's fine, you know, just for his sake. But when THT got injured and came out of the game early in that third quarter, the Lakers were down by like 14. All of a sudden, Russell Westbrook got fouled and threw up some shot from the foul line, and they called a goaltend. So he got an N1. And I remember saying to my dad, I said, that could get him going. And it did exactly that. Immediately after that, I think he got free throws or he got to the rim and everything started changing. And it started with the fact that because they were scoring, the Lakers got to set up their defense. And Dwight Howard started the second half. Vogel made the decision to start Dwight. And Dwight was the only Laker to play the entire third quarter. And he did an exceptional job. And I'll tell you why. When Buddy Heald comes into the game around five minutes into the first quarter, I noticed in both halves, he comes in for Terrence Davis. Buddy Heald has killed the Lakers in certain games in the past. He gets really hot from three. So it's the same thing I talked about with Jordan Poole and Steph Curry. When he's coming off dribble handoffs, when he's coming off the ball, you either have to stay attached to him if you're guarding him. You cannot give him an inch coming off those screens. Or if you're the big man, if he's got that inch, you got to step up. You need to make sure he gets the ball out of his hand, even if it means you leave your big man that you're guarding open. You got to rely on your rotations. And Dwight Howard was stepping up on every single screen that Buddy Heald was coming off of. And Wayne Ellington did an exceptional job of fighting off the ball and getting through those screens. He did not give Buddy Heald an inch. And I have mentioned that Ellington is the more capable defender more than Mello, Westbrook, Monk, 
that we've seen this and Rondo that we've seen this season. And he proved it again tonight. And he hit two transition threes from the right wing. He was overall three of six from three. Those were all the shots he took. Nine points plus 13, three steals. He was awesome for the Lakers tonight. And I think they should consider making him a full-time starter. I really do. Um, because I think he does hold his own better on that defensive end. He's just one-dimensional when he's not hitting. But if he can play some decent defense each night and turn into a 3-and-D kind of guy, you know, I know Ellington's a 3 guy. I've never heard about his defense. But he looks pretty decent right now. And Dwight Howard, though, I want to say, Dwight Howard was doing an exceptional job coming off those, or, you know, stepping up in the drop coverage, and or hedging, I should say, and forcing the ball out of Buddy Heald's hands. And Russell Westbrook had his best moments of the season defensively for me, rotating every single time. He did a great job, and the Lakers are forcing the Kings to make the extra pass, which, look, again, in today's NBA with the modern spacing, you are giving something up on certain pick and rolls with certain guys that you cannot go under the screen. You know, or even going under the screen, you are giving up a jump shot for guys that can shoot it. In Buddy Heald's case, when you throw two at a guy, if you get the ball over the top, that's a four-on-three situation for the big man. And Rashawn Holmes is not Draymond Green. He's not the most comfortable making those reads. There was one time where he tried to throw a lob, threw it over his head. Why is that? Because he's not necessarily a passer like that. And then there was another one where he made the right read, but Davion Mitchell's getting an open three. Davion Mitchell was... Two of eight from three. So as a Laker fan, as a Laker player, you're living with that. That's what you want. You got to make these NBA teams make, if the second look's not there, they got to look for the third look. You got to make them go to option C, D as a defense. The best defenses do that. Because in these pick and rolls, people don't understand. If you do not have perfectly perfect switching personnel, you have to give something up. You just got to rely on your rotations to be as good as they can to get the look that you want. And the Lakers did exactly that in the third quarter, and that was because Dwight Howard was coming up on every single one of those, and you got to give credit to Wayne Ellington. And that was starting fast break opportunities for Russ to push the ball and get downhill, and he was finishing much more like the Russell Westbrook we saw. And I think this game is like the tale of Russell Westbrook. You know, you had the first half where he was all over the place. He was missing layups. He's going 100 miles per hour. He was turning the ball over left and right, unforced turnovers, just careless. And then in the second half, he gets an and one situation. He starts getting everything going to the rim. He starts hitting that pull-up bank shot uh, on that left side of the court that we've seen him hit all season. And, And he's hit for the last, you know, for a while in his career. And he was making great kickouts to Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, who hit three threes in the third quarter. And, you know, just changing the momentum of the team, changing the energy of the team. And he can just put on runs like that. You know, he had 11 points in the third. And that Laker team, 37 and 15 in the third. AD had some really nice jump hooks over the left shoulder against Chemezi Metu on the right side of the court in the second half. And you know AD, he usually likes to operate on the left side. But he was operating on that right side with Dwight out there. And here's the thing, everyone's like, oh, you know, the, the spacing for AD isn't good when DJ's out there, when a traditional center is out there and AD sits in the perimeter to create space. But when LeBron's not there, that's one person you have to, one less person you have to worry about clearing lanes for. And how do you think big man worked for decades? You think there was always a floor spacing other big man out there? No. You just have to work in your spot and be good enough to get shots one-on-one in those spots. And that's what Anthony Davis did tonight. And that's what he is capable of doing when he focuses and wants to play physical. And tonight he did that. And the Lakers did a great job of not letting their foot off the gas. They stayed attent and alert defensively, attentive and alert defensively. Dwight Howard starting the fourth quarter after he played the whole third quarter at his age was very impressive to me, by the way. 
And you know I'm not a huge Dwight guy. 12 points and 13 rebounds, two steals, two blocks, plus 27. One of the highest in the game for Dwight. 35 minutes. AD, 25 and 7, two steals, two blocks, 12 of 22 from the field, and only two three shot. <clears throat> so that's exactly what you want to see from AD. Not settling for too many threes. Westbrook, 9 of 21 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, too many threes shot. But 23, 5, and 6 assists, 4 turnovers. And Malik Monk ended up with 22 points and a plus 33 plus minus, the most of any player in the game. 8 of 16 from the field. That's 50% if you're not quick enough with the math. 6 out of 10 from 3, and I think that's after he missed his first two. So, very impressive from him. The Kings, they just didn't defend. They just kind of collapsed. De'Aaron Fox only shot nine times. He had four fouls. He turned the ball over seven times. The Kings turned the ball over 19 times, and the Lakers made use of that. They capitalized, and that's part of the reason why the Kings lost. Yeah, 20 turnovers, and the Lakers got uh, 24 points off those turnovers, I believe. So... Story of the game there. Rashawn Holmes had a fantastic game, though. 27 points on 12 of 13 shooting, but the Lakers ran away with it. They have the two best players on the court, in my opinion. I still, as great as De'Aaron Fox is, I still put Westbrook over him. I still think Westbrook has proven a lot more in this league, and, you know, you can't diss him just yet. De'Aaron Fox, though, I'm looking at his numbers. You know, he averaged 25 points a game last season. He's only averaging 20 this season. Can it be the new rules affecting him that much? He's averaging 43%... Shooting last year, 48%. So he's down by five in that department. He's shooting 26% from three last year, 32. Yikes. I don't know, man. He's got to be doing better than that if this team wants to progress. That's less points than he's averaged in 2020 as well. But anyway, I'm going to move on and finish it off with the end of the Knicks-Nets game. The Knicks did a good job coming back at the end of the third quarter, led by their bench. And in that fourth quarter, end of their bench, Derek Rose... Alec Burks doing some things that we saw in game two of their series against the Hawks last year, and we saw them do all season last year. Mitchell Robinson was good as well. Julius Randle, I thought that he had some good and bad moments of the game, but I loved when he was taking Harden to the post. I loved it. Um, He was getting some good looks there and drawing double teams and making the right reads out of those, and that was getting the Knicks a lot of good shots, especially for Evan Fournier for the open threes. I thought that James Harden actually had one of his better games that I've seen. I mean, I haven't watched many Nets games this season. Y'all know that, but... Uh, one of his best games this season from what I've heard. Uh, he was getting in the paint, making his passes and dishing and finding the open man like he so often has done it throughout the course of his career. Uh, I thought he was just getting to the rim well. And LaMarcus Aldridge showed me, man, he's still got something. Props to LaMarcus Aldridge. I'm happy for him. That after last year, we thought he was retiring with the heart you know, issues or whatnot. And he came back and he's hitting that 18-footer. He's one of the best power forwards of this generation, man. And I, I really have always been an Aldridge fan. At one time in my life when I was a young kid, I used to call him the most underrated player in the league before he had even made the All-Star team once. And then after Brandon Roy, he finally made it. So good for Aldridge. It was a good game. Evan Fournier tied the game with a three. There was clearly a lot of Knicks fans in the building. Kevin Durant made some two nice jumpers, though, in the late, late fourth quarter. James Harden took a really deep three when I believe the Nets were up by two. The Knicks made it. The net, the Knicks made it tough on the Nets. Evan Fournier hit a three to tie the game, but the last, it's it's it was a controversial ending because, you know, 
Kevin Durant had the ball, shot clock turned off at the top. And you know, you know what I always say about Kevin Durant and players that want to isolate but beyond the three-point line for the game winner. It's easy to get the ball out of your hands. It's easy to get the ball out of your hands. Because when somebody comes and traps you up there, you don't really have anywhere to go. You go left or right, you're 30 feet away from the basket. When you're in the post, and I'm not saying it's easy to get the ball in the post late in the game. They will double you there too. But I think it's easier. It's a better spot. You can still turn over either shoulder, especially when you're seven feet tall like Kevin. And he got the ball at the top. The Knicks sent the double team. I think it was a smart one. He makes the right read. He throws the ball to a wide open James Johnson, who was wide open from 18 feet, 15 feet to shoot a jumper if he wanted to. He went right in the teeth of the defense. Mitchell Robinson moved his left hand down. At first, it looked like all ball. And then I saw the replay, and I saw that it did look like he hit most of his wrist. It did not look like he got much ball. I think it was the right call. But then again, you always have the, was it too late to make that call? Do you, you know, you don't, sometimes you see refs swallow the whistle for the last 10 seconds of a game in a tie game. Um, was that too risky? By Mitchell Robinson to swipe down like that. Reggie Miller was saying you got to keep your hands up. It's a tough one. Both free throws were made by Johnson. That was very clutch. And then Knicks didn't have any timeouts. Fournier chucked it up from half court. Came up close, didn't make it. But Joe Harris, by the way, out for a while for the Nets. That's a really bad loss. He's their third best player in my eyes without Harden and uh, without Kyrie Irving. So that's going to be tough. But uh, a good win for the Nets overall. They're a better team than the Knicks. Um, but I think the Knicks, you know, the whole Kemba Walker situation, I thought he would be, you know, half decent. But, hey, I'm not surprised that this has happened to him being taken out of the rotation because I talked about it in the preview. Actually, I don't think I did a Knicks preview. I t- but I, I, I know about Kemba. We saw him with the Celtics last year, guys. He's not the same, as I said. He's not been the same since the coronavirus, since he got that injection in his knee. He does not hit shots with the same efficiency, and he's not good on defense. He never has been great on defense, and now he's a step slower. So... Derrick Rose is better if you want to have a scorer and then he actually plays more defense. So I'd rather have Derrick Rose. And then, you know, IQ is a young player that has upside. Kimba Walker has no upside there. So Kimba may have to be used for when guys go down. But anyway, that's it for me tonight, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, now I'm going to go to the live subscribers. Only 23 waiting so patiently in the chat. Make sure you check out my vlog of the Pelicans game. Make sure if you guys ever see one of my videos, if you can, just take a second out of your day to like and subscribe uh, I'm sorry like and comment you know let's get back in favor of these algorithms you know share it if you want make sure you follow on Instagram at Pod and Twitter guys Twitter spaces going up Dimes Bank on Thursday I will not be live before that so Dimes Bank 11am to 1pm Pacific time on Thursday 2pm to 4pm Eastern time on Twitter at my Twitter you will have your chance to talk and have your say like an open radio show basically um, but yeah, vlog will be up tomorrow for the Kings game or Thursday after, uh, morning after the Kings game. So peace out y'all.